0: I'm Pastor Joe, I wanted to just do a couple of housekeeping things here before we talked about prayer a little more, on the back of your bulletin, now I know that about 50% of you probably at least do not read these things, but nonetheless, um, there is important information in these uh, from week to week, and so we do put this out um, for your benefit, on the back of this thing, there's something new that you may not have seen before. Um, with it has the elders' contact information. We've added some new guys to our elder board, plus we have some guys that have been with us on that board for a while. And each of these guys has an area of responsibility and in an effort for us to improve communication with you all. If you have uh, a question about any one of these areas of ministry in our church, these are the appropriate people to contact. This is their cell phone number, okay? Okay. Um, On the inside of your bulletin, underneath, picture of the big hairy guy uh, next to the beautiful redhead. Um, uh, If you have other questions, um, uh, you can call me or call Pastor Jim. Those are our cell phone numbers. Okay? And we would love to talk to you. We'd love to meet with you uh, on a personal basis, one-on-one, if that is uh, something that you need to do. So just... um, just a good word there. If you need to talk to somebody about any of these issues or anything that we have um, have changed or are doing differently, um, call us and talk to us, okay? Uh, we'd love to talk to you. Also, last week we talked about Bible study, uh, the discipline of Bible study and getting into your Bibles. And on the literature table out there is a big stack of these, okay? This will take you... Uh, through the entire Bible in a year, and it has. If you're uh, the kind of person who likes little boxes to check off, I'm one of those people. I like little. You know, uh, I'm the kind of guy that writes his to do list, and then when he gets a bunch of stuff crossed off, he makes a new list with just the stuff that's on it. Um, that's kind of pinheaded, I know, but nonetheless, um, if you're that kind of a, a a person, you may find this helpful, where you have some things that you can actually check off, and you can see look, this is how much of the scriptures I've read thus far this year, or this is how much I got read this year. And if it becomes a two-year project or a three-year project, who cares, okay? But read your Bible. Understand what it says. And this is a helpful tool. There's a couple different plans out there. This one is a book at a time. Okay, there's others that are available. Um, But this is a good thing, all right? We're talking about uh, here this week and the last couple of weeks and for another few weeks yet, we're going to be talking about uh, what I would call the spiritual disciplines. Remember, part of our, our, our vision and our purpose for our church is to be a church where you are equipped how to do some things. And one of the things we want everybody to be equipped to know how to do is to walk with God on a daily basis. And the spiritual disciplines are aspects or tools or practices that the Bible describes uh, things that help us grow closer in our walk with God each day. And so we talked about celebration, and last week we talked about Bible study. This week we're going to talk about prayer. Next week we're going to talk about confessing and how to do that, dealing with your sin. Um, and so I want to talk about prayer here, and, and by way of doing that, I want to just share with you a little bit of my own journey as far as prayer goes. Um, for a pretty long time, as you know, as you can imagine, you know, I'm a pastor, and so kind of assumed by a lot of people that you're pretty good at praying. You do it publicly a lot. Uh, you have occasion to do it with people on a, on all kinds of occasions, and I feel like I'm not very good at it, to be really honest, uh, for the most part. Um, and sometimes I find it difficult to sit and talk with a being that I can't see. And I'm confident of God's existence. I have no doubt about that. And I'm confident that he uh, cares for me and loves me and that he has a deep interest in cultivating a relationship with me. But sometimes, and I'm sure I'm not the only one who feels this way, but sometimes it feels like I'm talking to myself in an empty room. And another problem that I have sometimes when I pray is that I have a tendency for my mind to wander. I know nobody else has that happen okay, but my mind will start wandering and I, and and I'll be praying you know if I get ten minutes to pray, I'll spend two minutes in prayer. And the other eight minutes uh daydreaming about pheasant hunting in South Dakota and thinking through the to do list that I have of other things that need to get accomplished today, and oh uh man that that pilot Karen made last night was really good, and, oh, that's really awesome and then and then I'll go, oh yeah, I'm praying, <laughs> I've gotta come back to that right um or if I can actually be quiet and um long enough to really quiet my thoughts and try to pray I start to go to sleep um, <laughs> and and worst of all sometimes when I sit and pray uh, I, I sit there and I start theologizing with myself and I go well if God is sovereign and he has he rules over the universe then I wonder if my prayer actually has any impact makes any difference what I'm doing is really kind of foolish and stupid. And yet the Bible says I should. So, But, but really, what difference does it make if God is really sovereign and is going to do what he wants? And so I struggle sometimes with my prayer life. Now, I say that in the spirit of, first of all, vulnerability and letting you know that I need this message as much as some of you need it. Okay? But second of all, to... to to say that just because I have difficulty sometimes doesn't mean that becoming mighty in prayer is something that I shouldn't still strive for. And if you can relate to any or all of the struggles that I sometimes have, let me assure you, your pastor has them too. And your elders probably have them too, if you ask them. Okay? Um, And you know what's funny about this is that is that there are times in my life when none of these things is an issue. None of them. Um, When the chips are down and there's no hope for a tranquil end to my circumstances, it's just going to kind of just smooth out and get really cool. Uh, I can pray like a saint at that point, right? I can pray like crazy. I'll give you just a few examples. When my son John was born... Karen hemorrhaged uh, right after John was born. And, you know, I would witnessed a couple of other births and I'm holding my son and my wife is going progressively white. And all of a sudden we're seeing a lot of blood, far more than is normal. And I said to Karen, boy, you did great, honey. I just stood there because I knew something was wrong. And the nurses are starting to scurry like they do when something is wrong. And there's a lady in there going, boy, Mrs. Horn, you did a great job, and she's leaning as hard as she can on Karen's abdomen to clench that bleeding off, okay? And the whole time I'm holding my son, I'm going, dear God, don't let me lose my wife on the same day my son is born. I didn't tell her that until afterward, okay? when the shots and whatever kick in and they got that closed off or when my son Nathan was born and we found a spot on his head it if you look closely at him you can see the scar still right here but he had this little growth right there that we had to have removed and we didn't know what it was and and I remember going into the University of Iowa Children's Hospital and having that surgery done and and being in the waiting room, waiting on those results. And for the surgeon to come out and tell us whether we have cancer or we have something benign. And I could pray. Oh, baby, I could pray. Okay? Um, or when Karen found a lump a couple of years ago. And we were waiting on those results scary stuff and you can really pray then right but it's tough sometimes when when as the song goes you know your daddy's rich and mama's good looking oh, the sun is shining the cotton is high right things are going good sometimes it's hard to pray then and i think the reason that it's hard in those times is Is that we have such advanced levels of self confidence. You know, I look at myself, my self image of myself is of a fairly capable, relatively intelligent person who's able to figure out most things. Right? And you may have a self image that's similar. And the reason that we have difficulty depending on God is that we have such regard for ourselves. And we think, don't worry, God. I'll call you if I need you. I can handle it from here. (laughs) Okay. Um, And so I think, but I think part of the, and part of what it requires when we pray is coming to God and admitting that we can't handle it on our own. That we are not that capable, that we are not that smart, and we are not that gifted. And that we lay our life before Him and say, Lord, I'm a mess. My life is a mess, even though things are good at the moment. And apart from your intervention in my life, uh, my life will be a train wreck tomorrow. And so Jesus uh, teaches us how to pray, okay? I want to look at Matthew chapter 6. Ben read the passage for us earlier. Thank you, Ben. Teed us up real nicely on that. Um, But let's look at Matthew chapter 6. Uh, Jesus has given some instructions to his disciples there on prayer, okay? And this is a section that's called the Lord's Prayer, but it's actually the the pattern that the Lord gave to the disciples on how they should pray, okay? And he gives us, first of all, some things uh, not to do and some things to do in uh, verses 5 to 8. And then he gives us some, some pattern for how they should pray and then some instruction about forgiveness in the, at the end of the, the section here. And Jesus is really, really practical here, okay? Um, verse 5, and he says, and when you pray. Now, I don't know about you, but I think I should underline the word when, okay? Because jesus is in other words assuming that you're going to pray he does not say and if you pray do this he says and when you pray in other words he starts from the assumption that prayer is a part of someone who follows jesus that that's part of um, being a christ follower is to be a person who prays and who acknowledges his dependence on god okay um He assumes that we have a need for prayer, and he gives us some practical instruction. He says, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray standing in the synagogue or standing on the street corners, uh, that they may be praised by others. Now, if you were a Jewish person, uh, it was normal a lot of times to pray standing up. It wasn't required, but it was fairly normal. And a lot of times when Jewish men in particular would pray, they would pray like this, with their standing on their feet, with their arms outstretched upward, and looking up toward heaven with their eyes open, okay? In Western cultures, we a lot of times pray with our eyes shut and our hands folded, and because we're a more individualized rather than corporate type culture, okay, and so it's the per, it has more of a focus on the person and his his or her individual relationship with God and the way we pray, then with with Jews, they prayed out loud, okay? And with their eyes open and looking up toward heaven, okay? Um, and he says, when you pray, um, don't pray like the hypocrites standing on the street corner or standing up in the synagogue. Now, the synagogue, different than the street corner, is a normal place. Place for prayer right the, the synagogue is the center of Jewish community life and Jewish worship life apart from the temple uh, you went up to the temple for the feast days three times a year but on a normal weekly basis you went to the synagogue on the Sabbath to be instructed in the law of God and to be encourage one another and to pray and these kind of things and a lot of times there would be people who would you know you would pray as you were seated or you could pray Kneeling off in a corner or something. But, it, but then there would be these guys who would stand up and pray in front of everybody. And then, of course, there's people, Jesus says, who pray on the street corners. And it's not necessarily a problem to pray in places that are not devoted to worship, like a street corner. And it's not necessarily, obviously, a problem to pray in places that are devoted to worship, like a synagogue or like this building. But what is a problem is their motivation. And uh, if, you, if you have a Bible like mine, it uses the word that. Okay? Or if you have an NIV Bible, I believe it has the word to. Or I think the NAS has in order to. Those are all statements that translate a Greek word that has to do with the purpose or the motivation behind what these guys are doing in order to be seen by other people. In other words, their prayer is only incidentally about God. It is mostly about being seen by everybody else to be a pious religious person. Okay? And sometimes, whenever you pray publicly, there's a little tension that you feel. I can tell you as a pastor who has occasion to pray publicly a lot that um, there's a little tension that you feel between the people who are hearing you pray and the God to whom you are speaking. And that you don't flower it up for the people when what you're trying to do is talk to God. Occasionally you'll hear people do this When they stand to pray, it's like they go into a whole different version of their personality. And they start to not talk about God, but about God. (laughs) You know, and they get about three syllables out of that one of those three letters, right? Um, And that kind of thing, okay? Jesus is saying, don't do that. Don't draw attention to yourself in the process of your prayer. Because... Prayer is about talking to God primarily, and if it happens to be public, it's only incidentally about the people who are also there listening. It's primarily about God and about talking to Him. And He says further that the people who really want the praise of other people, you know, in other words, it's the it's the idea of kind of the the little old lady vote, who's, who those who walk by and go. Well, isn't that nice? Look at that guy. He's so, he's so religious. He's so pious. Okay? If that is your ultimate goal in life, is to have the... <laughs> of other people, then Jesus says, that's fine, but that's all you will get. Okay? Um, and, um, but that's all that you, all the reward that you will have. And Jesus says, instead of that, go into your room and close the door. And pray to your father. Okay, uh, some Bibles read go into your closet. Okay, um, I don't think I don't think it's the word closet necessarily. Uh, houses in those days did not have closets like we have, in the sense of being places where you store your clothes and that. Um, people didn't have that many clothes; they didn't need a, a separate room with a door on it to hang them up. Okay, um, it's the idea though of an inner room. A room without windows, and the reason that you would go in there and that you would shut the door is that you were not even going to have it be a possibility that someone could walk by and see you. That you would then have to have to decide between: Am I doing this so that I might be seen, or that am I doing this so that God and I can have a conversation? Okay. He says, when you pray, go into the inner room and shut the door so that you and I, as God, can be alone together. And that you won't be doing it out of a desire to have somebody else's applause, but that you would do it out of a desire for a relationship with God. Um, And Jesus says here um, uh, that you will have a reward from God if your desire ultimately is to please Him, which will be demonstrated by this kind of prayer. your desire ultimately is to please Him, then you receive a reward from God based on that. See, the reality of life is is that everybody gets what they ultimately value. If you ultimately value your relationship with God, you get... A relationship with God that lasts not only in time, but into eternity. If you ultimately value yourself and your choices and your freedom to act independently of God and to rebel against him, you get to do that on into eternity. It's called hell, and you won't want to be there. But you do get what you ultimately desired out of this life. Okay? Okay? Um, Jesus says here that if you pray like a hypocrite, you'll get a hypocrite's reward, which is the applause of men and the absence of God's interest in what you say. (laughs) Okay? But that if you pray to be heard by God, that God will hear you. Okay? Um, And then something else I want you to notice here. Um, In my Bible, I like how it renders this a little better. Um, the NIV says. Pray to your father. Who is unseen. Okay. The phrase there actually means. Who is in secret. Okay. It says go into the secret place. And your father who is in secret. Will meet with you. Okay. And. Um, The significance of the idea is this, is that even though we can't see him, that God is there. God is there in that place. It's not like he is off somewhere in heaven. This deals, by the way, with one of my problems that I have in prayer. This is a good reminder for me. That I feel like God is in his heaven and I'm down here and I don't know if the prayer gets between here and here. Guess what? Jesus says, God is in the room. He is in that secret place. Okay? He is there, in that room. And it says, your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Okay? Now, verse uh, 7 and 8 says, not only, um, you know, in verse 5 and 6, you see that we're not to pray so to impress people. Verse 7 and 8, he says, don't pray so as to impress God either. (laughs) Okay, God is not easily impressed by human beings. And he says, when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Okay? Um, Now, let me just give you a couple of cautions here. Jesus is not against long prayers, okay? Sometimes a long prayer is the only one that will work. Because you have so much stuff that you need to pour out of your soul that you just are overwhelmed, and you just pray because it just flows out of you like water out of a drain pipe, okay. And some and so Jesus is not against a long prayer per se, okay. He is also not against repetitive prayers, okay. How do I know? Because Jesus prays the same prayer all night in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. The night before he's about to be crucified, he spends the whole night in prayer praying the same thing over and over. Is that wrong to do? No, that's not wrong to do. Jesus did it, so it's obviously not wrong to do but the idea is that don't think that somehow that you can talk god into something just because you've talked a long time okay like you know like my kids sometimes will come to me and they'll say and and we're we're working on this okay they'll say daddy I'm thirsty and I always just say the same thing well that's interesting because what we're trying to do is to teach them to say, not, I'm thirsty, a statement of fact, but to actually make a request. Daddy, may I have a drink, please? Okay? See the difference? Yeah, they don't either. But anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, all right. I say, you know, we don't, but, but if, if I just continue doing dishes, okay, they say it again. Daddy, I'm thirsty. Daddy, I'm thirsty. Daddy, I'm thirsty. I know you're thirsty, son. Is there a request in there somewhere? <laughs> you know, um, or Ashley or whoever. You know, um, and and they think that somehow they're just going to wear me down. You know, or like we go shopping. Can we go look at toys? No. Can we go look at toys? No. Can we go look at toys? <laughs> I'd really want to look at toys. <laughs> I understand. We're clear on that point. The answer is no. I've already answered that question. Okay? Sometimes we think that if we, just, that if we just pray repeatedly over long, and, and really, like you know, it's like you know, God is a bad parent that you just have to wear him down. Right? God is a good parent. And he says, don't heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do. And by Gentiles, he's not talking about Gentiles versus Jews necessarily. He's talking about people who don't know God. Or some Bibles render that phrase "pagans." Okay, don't don't treat God like a pagan deity. In other words, that if you just make your request long enough, you'll you'll uh, wear him down. Or if you make your prayer eloquent enough, you know, like you start speaking like you live in Shakespeare's day, you know. Oh God, thou hast you know. <laughs> uh, People don't talk that way, okay? At least not today. Talk to God respectfully, but don't just pile up empty words for the sake of thinking somehow God is going to be so impressed he's going to give me what I want, okay? God is not a genie, in other words, um, that if we just babble on forever will grant us our requests, okay? Okay? We should pray in order to worship God and to seek his will for our our life. Okay? Uh, Not our will for his life. All right? Sometimes that's how we pray. God, give me me my will for your life. (laughs) I want you to do what I want you to do. In other words, instead of, I want to do what you want me to do. I want you to do what I want you to do. That's how we pray sometimes. And Jesus says, don't do that. Um, Now, this is how you should pray, he says. Um, He says, first of all, you should pray our Father. Now, this is a pattern. This isn't designed to, to be the you have to say exactly these words. But this is a pattern to base your prayer life on. Because this is how you pray our Father. Um, now this, this address, I think, has a lot of uniqueness to it. Um, first of all, if you look at the word our, who's, who's God, who is Jesus including in using that pronoun? Himself. He's putting Himself In a sense, at the same level with you and I. And so God is our Father. Okay? And I think that's great. Um, I find that actually completely astonishing that Jesus does that. And then he says that when we pray, we address the Father. Uh, As Christians, we confess belief in a Trinity, a God who is. Three persons in one being, a Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in one God, from eternity past, and on into forever. Right? And that even though they are equal in power and in dignity and in attributes, they are distinct in role. Okay? So that when we pray, we address the Father by means of the Son. That we come to God the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Uh, Because it is the Father who hears us, the Son who intercedes for us as High Priest, and the Spirit who interprets our prayer, according to the Scripture, right? And so when I pray, as an example, I always pray, Father, or Heavenly Father, something like that. And then a lot of times when I conclude my prayers, I'll say, Father, we ask in the name of Jesus and by the power of your Holy Spirit, Amen. Okay. Prayer in the life of a Christian is a triune act. And God does as Trinity in our life. Okay. Jesus says you address the Father when you pray. Okay. It is as if the Father, in a sense, uh, is the one who um, issues the plan of God, the Son who carries it out, and the Spirit who introduces us to it uh, through the through the giving of the word, and through the empowerment in our life, okay? Um, So we pray to the Father through the Son by the Spirit, right? Uh, (coughs) And by the way, Father is a very rare title for God in the Old Testament. It only occurs 14 times, okay? By comparison, the word Yahweh, by which God identifies himself as the covenant God, of Israel, occurs, I think, something like 6,000 times. But in the New Testament, Father is very, very, very common, especially in the Gospels. But even in Paul, and in John, and in Peter, and in James, God is almost always referred to as the Father. Why? Because Jesus said that we could address Him as Father because through the blood of Jesus we have been adopted as the children of God. Okay. Um, and so when we address God as Father, we're, we're calling on the grace of God and on, the, and on the basis of the fact that Jesus has paid for us. And so we have, as John says, behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the sons of God. Right? We have been adopted into God's family, and so in a sense, Jesus is our brother and God is our father. Right? Uh, Jesus said, next two words here, he says, in heaven. And I think this is a reminder that it's God that we're addressing, not a fellow human being. Uh, The song that we sang is um, based, I think,. Uh, out of Ecclesiastes. Where it says God is in his heaven. And you are on earth. So let your words be few. Okay. And the idea is. Is that God has a dignity. And a majesty. And a glory. Far above us. And we do well to remember that. As we address him. Uh, even though he's our father. And because he is our father. We still need to be respectful. Right. But. Uh, Jesus says, then, hallowed be your name. Now, hallowed is not really a word that we use much anymore, unless it's Halloween, okay? Um, But to hallow something means to make or to regard it as holy. And holy, um, a weak translation of holy is different, okay? Um, And so God, when he is holy, holy, holy in Isaiah, is really, really, really different from us. Okay? That everything about him is distinct from humanity and greater and more wonderful and more righteous and just and powerful and loving than we are. And so we're to regard God as holy. And, And it says, Hallowed be your name. Your name in Scripture is something which represents who you are. And it also, uh, so in other words, if I curse your name, I'm by extension cursing you as a person. Okay? If I exalt your name, even though you're not there, I'm exalting you as a person. Okay? Your name and your identity are connected. Uh, but they also reveal something about who you are. Okay? Um, and so God's name is sacred as far as the Bible is concerned. And so Jesus says, holy be your name. May we treat you as holy because you are. Okay? In other words, that we, when we come to God, we need to recognize the greatness and the majesty and the glory of God as we come. And to give him praise for who he is. All right? And then Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done. Now to pray for God's kingdom to come is to look forward to the day when God's justice is established and he uh, eliminates evil and establishes his direct rule here on the earth. That is the coming of the kingdom. And so to pray that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven is an extension of that idea. Because when the kingdom comes... God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so when we pray for God's kingdom to come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're in a sense speeding God's coming. You know, I've talked before about that idea, you know, that when I um, got engaged, the wedding day could not come soon enough, right? Those of you men who've been engaged, uh, you know what I'm talking about, all right? That wedding day when you take your bride into your home as your wife. Can't come quickly enough. Okay. And this is a similar kind of prayer. God, that you would come quickly and right what is wrong and bring uh, goodness and love and mercy and justice on the earth. Okay. Come quickly. Um, and that on top of that, that we would, in our lives, carry out God's will in the interim, okay? Um, give us this day our daily bread. Is, and it's, this, is, this is real simple. This is not complicated. This is praying for your basic needs of survival. And he says this day because he's trying to indicate, I think, that it's every day. You need to come before God and acknowledge the fact that apart from him and his provision, that you are lost. That you are utterly dependent even for your very survival. Apart from God continuing the pumping of your lungs in and out to give you breath and your heart continuing to beat, get, <laughs> making the blood flow through your body, you're dead. Okay? It's God who gives the breath of life, and it's God who takes it away. And it's God who provides you with food, even though you have a job. And so you need to pray, this day, give us our needs. Okay? And I think included in there is more than just food. It's also things like clothes on your back, car in your driveway or cars, uh, the, the roof over your head, the grass you have to mow. Okay? To acknowledge the fact that it's God who gives you these things. And to pray for his continued provision. All right? Um, Because every good and perfect gift, as James says, comes down from the Father of the heavenly lights, with whom there is no darkness or shifting shadow. Right? Everything that we have that is good comes from God. Uh, And then this is the scary part. Forgive us as... And that translates a Greek word that means in the same way. Forgive us as we forgive others. Okay. Now, I don't like that word. I got to tell you, okay, I'd like to be unforgiving sometimes. Um, it feels good to hold grudges sometimes. And Jesus says that's perfectly fine if you want to do that, by the way. Okay. Just know that none of your sins will be forgiven by God while you do. Your choice, up to you. Do what you want. (laughs) Okay. But just know that God forgives you on the same basis that you forgive other people. Or to put it in a way that Jesus did somewhere else, with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you if you're a gracious person, you can count on God to be gracious to you. If you're a jerk, same rule applies. (laughs) Okay. Uh, If you're unforgiving, just be be prepared to sign on for God to be unforgiving with you. Okay. Um, And he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. My Bible says evil. Um, The NIV actually is the better translation there, and it says the evil one. Because evil is not some random uh, impersonal force that's just kind of out there, you know, uh, like gravity or electricity or something. You know, evil is out there. Um, evil results from the, from the choices to rebel against God of moral agents. Therefore, lions and dogs and uh, palm trees cannot be good and evil. Okay? Okay. Only people, angels, and God can be good or evil. Okay? God is always good, so we don't have to worry about him being evil. Angels and people can be good or evil. And so Jesus says, Deliver us from the evil one. And in other words, that is the devil controls this world because he is the ruler of it, and he is also the one who sets up the world system to operate in the way that it does. And that could cause us problems and difficulties. Uh, and But he, Jesus also says, lead us not into temptation. Because guess who else is an evil, potentially, person? <laughs> okay, you and I. So, God, protect us from the evil within me. And protect us from the evil outside of me in the world around me. Um, from the evil one. All right? Um verse 14 and 15 in case we didn't get it in case we were a little dim okay um if you forgive others their trespasses your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive others their trespasses neither will your heavenly father forgive your trespasses in other words oh that thing about forgiveness in case you missed it i meant that forgiveness is a big deal to god And if we don't forgive other people, neither will the the Father forgive us. And remember, there is but one Lamb who is spotless and blameless. Amen? And as the Scripture says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Therefore, all of us have a responsibility to forgive. Even when somebody sins in a heinous way against us, we still have to forgive. Right? Um. We can't get the grace from God that we don't grant, right? Now, this is really, really simple, and I, I don't want to overcomplicate it. And so in case you're wondering, how do I apply, apply this, this passage to my life? What do I need to do, all right? Uh, let me just give a couple of things here. Number one, God is not interested in our prayer if our objective is to impress other people with how religious and pious and wonderful we are. Whether it's to impress him or to impress others, God's not interested. He's interested in heartfelt devotion, not wordiness, not um, some sort of uh, outward display of religiosity. He's interested in what you do in private between him and you. Okay? Okay? Um, here's the reality of it. The measure of a person is what they would do if if they knew they would never be found out. Right? I mean, what, you know, we've had a number of political scandals here lately in Illinois. <laughs> okay. It seems that um, being indicted is now a qualification to be governor in Illinois. <laughs> All right? Um... And one of the commonalities between all of those guys is this. They believed they would never be found out. Okay? And whenever somebody commits adultery, they believe the same thing. Whenever a teenage guy or even an adult man looks at pornography, they think, I am doing this in secret. Right? Whenever a woman gets involved in an online chat with somebody in an intimate way that's not her husband she thinks, this will never be found out. But the measure of a person is what they would do when they're in secret because the Father is in secret, right? And we can do all kinds of things in secret. And the only person who sees them is God. And so what do we do? Do we pray? I hope so. The Bible says we should pray. And we should pray in secret. Um, secondly, we need we we need to pray and to seek God, even though even when we don't feel like it, we need to do it. Right? I talked last week about how sometimes after you've been married a while, you feel like man the spark has just kind of fizzled, and you know I don't I don't feel the same way as I did back when I was uh, nineteen and. My hormone levels were elevated. Okay? Um, But you know what? It's especially then that you need to pursue your mate, right? And it's especially when you don't feel like praying that you need to pray. In prayer, God changes us and he helps us to see things from his perspective. We don't pray because God needs to hear us flap our gums. Okay. We pray because we need to pray. Because we need to hear from God. Because we need to acknowledge our dependence on Him. And we need to be changed. Not because God does. Alright? Um, and by the way, just a practical suggestion. This has been one of the most helpful things for me that I have ever encountered. When somebody said what should have been obvious to me, which was this. You know, when you get distracted by all that stuff, when you're sitting there praying and you've got like 50 things that are going through your mind, it could be that the Spirit of God is actually prompting you to pray about those things. And I went, dummy, yes, <laughs> what a good idea. <laughs> Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> okay, could ahead, of a V8, right? Um, pray about what is on your mind. Not what, what you think ought to be on your mind, but what is on your mind. Okay? Pray about the things that God brings up. Not that th- don't have your list, well, I need to pray for the missionaries. I can't pray about that now. Pray for the missionaries later after you've prayed for that. okay? Because that's the thing that is on your heart. That's the thing that God wants you to address him about is all the things that are running through your mind while you're praying about other stuff. And the last thing, God won't hear us as long as we won't let go of our sin. That's a fact, okay? Um, if you come to God bearing your sin and not to confess it, but just to, I, I don't want to let go of this, but I want you to hear me. God won't hear you. Not that he goes deaf. He just refuses to listen. <laughs> okay, kind of like me with my kids. I'm thirsty. I got dishes to do. <laughs> okay. As long as you um, won't let go of your sin, and that includes, by the way, the sin of being unforgiving. You won't do that. God won't hear you. That simple, right? So let's let's all commit ourselves to prayer this year, okay? Because prayer is where we hear from we, we can talk to God, and he can hear we can hear from him. So let's let's do pray as we close our service.